0: Today uh, we're going to take a look at one of the more important scripture passages that helps to explain some of the foundation of our faith as it, uh, in terms of why this church, Lakeview, is identified with John Wesley and the Wesleyan church. And you may find this interesting for those of you who have come from other traditions. Or perhaps uh, no tradition, and you're just you just came to faith in Christ, and you landed here, and this is called a Wesleyan church, and you're not really sure about all of that. Um, Pastor Jared and Pastor Jim teach on these things in the membership series that they have just started last week, and so I know you're more than welcome to uh, attend that. They'd love to have you. Who would have thought, though, when you stop and think about our series in Philippians, and uh, Pastor, that's where we are right now. We're studying the book of Philippians. And who would have thought that this would pop up right in the middle of our study of Philippians? But it really does in terms of some of the foundation of why we are identified with the Wesleyan Church. So we're going to take a look at some I, I hate to just terminate ter, 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 use this terminology is what I'm trying to say for such something so important, but but it's some pretty important stuff today, as it relates to the two ingredients that are necessary to experience a great journey with God, and that's really what we want, isn't it? Don't don't all of us want to have a great journey with God? Uh, amen. Uh, to have a great journey with God before we go to meet God would be a good thing. Huh? To have a great journey with God before we go to meet God would be a good thing. And so what are these two ingredients that are just generally speaking ingredients that, that must be foundationally there for our journey to be a good experience? Well, they're described by two, I'll just warn you, rather boring words two rather boring words, and I'm going to try to liven them up just a little bit this morning if I can. Uh, The two words are the two ingredients, and we're going to put them on the screen for you. Orthodoxy, which is correct teaching. Orthopraxy, which is correct practice and behavior. Orthodoxy and orthopraxy, I told you they were boring words. It almost sounds like a lecture on insecticide, says an ortho, let's pour it on the flowers and what to keep the bugs off or whatever. But listen. to believe scripturally correct principles and not abide by them is called hypocrisy. To practice appropriate rules without understanding the underlying principles behind them, It's called dead works. And that does not impress God. Let me say those two things again. To believe scripturally correct principles and not abide by them is called hypocrisy. And to practice appropriate rules without understanding the underlying principles behind them is called dead works. We're just doing things by rote. really don't understand why. has no meaning to it. We're just doing the good works. It doesn't impress God. And they're dead. There's no life in those works. So what we need in the church and what we need in our journey with God before we go to meet God is good teaching and good follow-through. Good teaching and good follow-through. They go hand in hand. And discipleship, which is what we're going to really be focusing in on in this next year Uh, here at Lakeview, of building and developing a strong discipleship ministry requires both of these. It requires good instruction, and it requires faithful administration or practice of those things that we're learning. They go hand in hand. So a bottom line uh, word might go something like this. To go to church and believe good things... And pay little attention to behavior is to miss the point of a holy life. Let me say that again. To go to church and believe good things and pay little attention to behavior is to miss the point of a holy life. Which is what we want to live before Christ. Secondly, to go to church and practice all the rules without knowing why. Is also to miss the point, and it pour- points towards salvation by works, which is not biblical. Scripture does not teach that we can work our way to heaven and overcome the sin in our lives. And so when we just obey rules without understanding the motivation behind those, the principles behind those, it's dead. And if we continue to practice those rules as though somehow it impresses God, we're mistaken. It does not impress God, it will not get us into heaven. And that would be a shame. So the, t- the title of today's uh, word to the church is, it's not a spectator sport. So where does that come in? Well, if you were here last week with us, you know that we talked about running uh, in spite of the hindrances that happen in our lives. And so we used Paul's uh, imagery of the runner who runs the race and is pressing hard for the, for the goal line. And finishes the race and hopefully finishes the race well. And along the way, we talked about hindrances and hindrances can be positive and hindrances can be negative. Hindrances that are negative are, you remember, I showed a little video of the guy that was in second place and, and, and punched the guy, you know, in the head and, and caused him, caused him trouble. And I, I had some people that kind of shouted out. It's like, yeah, I feel like I've been punched in the back of the head by the devil. Every once in a while, I just got, I just got a, he just gave me a shot. He just gouged me. He just cut in my lane. He just, you know, ugly things that the enemy brings uh, in our path uh, to serving God. And so we, Paul says, we've got to push through those things. But there are also positive things that can happen. There, there, are, there are things that could have happened, for example, way back in our history of our journey with God. That were so lovely and so beautiful at the time that for some reason we just kind of shut down and decided to live there. And all we ever talk about is what it used to be, how it used to be, what we used to experience, how exciting it used to be, used to be, used to be, used to be, and there's no future in used to be. Amen? There's no future in used to be. And so those hindrances can be positives and they can be negatives, but Paul's teaching us to stay on the course and to push through with his help. Now, understanding the game of football, which many people don't and many people don't care to learn about, and I understand that, but if we were to understand the game of football and we're sitting in the stadium, which some people will be doing here before long, totally engaged in the entertainment that's going on in front of us, it's not the same thing as being on the field. And having to execute the game plan. Let me just say that again. Understanding the game of football. Understanding religion. And sitting in the stadium. Sitting at church. Totally engaged and totally entertained. Is not the same thing. As being on the field. Or practicing our faith. In our own personal walk. Or in the the journey that we have in the county where we live and the nation where we live and the world in which we live, you can't execute the game plan if you're sitting in the stands. So in the church at Philippi, and we're going to read the next section that we want to study today, in the church at Philippi, Paul had to help some of the people realize some things. What was he trying to help them realize? One, that having a religious experience with God does not entitle them to eternal life while they're living in a sinful lifestyle. Let me say that again. That's that's where rubber meets the road. It's not pleasant to talk about. It's an ugly thought. But he's having to remind some people in the church that just because you had a religious experience, a warm fuzzy, maybe even ask Jesus to come into your heart and life, and save you, and forgive you of your sins, and to give you uh, partnership, and friendship, and, and love, and protection, and empowerment, that does not entitle people to eternal life while they are living in a sinful lifestyle, an ongoing repeating the same sin, going back to the dog's vomit over, and over, and over, and over. Paul says it doesn't work that way. And then secondly, he says this having a head knowledge of correct beliefs without correct behavior is missing the impact God desires from us on the field of play. So in other words, to sit in the church and to sit in the Sunday school classes and to sit in the discipleship programs and to sit and take notes and listen in the service as the pastor preaches and teaches the word of God and not exhibit Correct behavior is missing the impact that God desires from us out on the football field, in the field of play. And so this is a challenge to the people in Philippi to make sure that they are thinking properly. So our focus today, and now we're getting ready to read, our focus today is this. Correct thoughts lead to correct practices. Correct thoughts lead to correct practices. And so one of the things that every Sunday school teacher, every children's church worker, every small group leader, every Christian school teacher, every pastor, every leader who's doing any kind of leading and instruction wants to make sure that our, we're thinking correctly because how we think affects our practice. And God wants our practice to be effective Otherwise, the game plan to win the game uh, can be uh, affected. So here we go. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 15. We'll read five verses here. Paul speaking. Let us, therefore, as many as are perfect. Would you say perfect? One, two, three. Let us, therefore, as many as are perfect have this attitude. And if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by that same standard to which we have attained. Brethren, join in following my example, and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk, of whom I often told you, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction. Whose God, little g, God, is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. So, let me help us with a little technical insight, if I may, to start. And some of you Bible uh, scholars and those of you who are students of God's Word, you may have already run across this, but for some it may be, it may seem a little confusing at first. You may not have been with us when we studied verse 12. I didn't read verse 12. I started at verse 15, as you know. But we did study at verse 12. And there's a word in verse 12 that is the same word that we just read in verse 15, or 16, excuse me. And that same word is the word perfect. That's why I had you repeat that word, perfect. Perfect in verse 12. Perfect in verse 16. Yeah, well, they pulled that up. That's great. There it is. Not that I've already obtained it or have already become perfect. So, what's the deal here? Why, why does it seem like, if you look at the meaning, why does it seem like Paul is talking out of both sides of his mouth? Well, it's the same word, but it's a diff- they're different parts of speech. And you may not have known that. It says perfect, and it looks the same to us, but they're di- and it is the same word, but it's different parts of speech, and different parts of speech can have a twist on the meaning and the interpretation. So let me show you. Here's verse 12 again. They put it up there for you. Not that I've already obtained it, he's talking about perfection, or have already become perfect. What he means by that, <clears throat> in the way that word is used there, is complete with no need of Of further improvement. It's a verb. And in that verb usage there. He's talking about the fact that. His perfection is not complete. With no need for further improvement. That it is. That it is complete. And there's no need for further improvement. I think I didn't say that right. Last time. That it's complete. He's arrived. He doesn't need to do better. He's already done better. He's already hit the mark. He's hit a hundred percent. He didn't get an A, he got an A plus. That's, that's what that is inferring. Not that I have already obtained A plus, but I press on. And then he says in verse 13, brothers, I do not regard myself as having laid, up, laid hold of it yet. What? Perfection, hundred percent. A plus. No need for further improvement. He said, I haven't got that. I don't have that. I want that, but I don't have that. I want to be there, but I'm not there. Well, that's kind of depressing. Because if Paul doesn't have it, how how am I going to have it? How, How will you have it to confess your inabilities? How will we have this? Now, let me show you verse 15a. Philippians 3, 15a. Let us, therefore, as many as are perfect, same word, but this time it's a noun. And this time it infers being spiritually mature, but not complete, still room for improvement. There there is still room for improvement. This is what he's talking about in this particular part of the verse. Let us, therefore, as many as are spiritually mature, but still have room to improve. The last one was, I don't need to improve. I already hit it. I already hit it. He said, I haven't obtained that. But this one here, he said, I have obtained spiritual maturity, and I'm not complete, and I still have some room to go to grow. So in one verse, it almost sounds like Paul has not spiritually arrived. In another verse, he, he kind of has arrived. And like, what's the deal? here? Well, here's a good answer from our good friend, Ken Wiest, who is a Greek scholar. And here's what he says, and I quote, The answer is found in the fact that in verse 12 Paul is speaking of a finished process and absolute spiritual maturity beyond beyond which there is no room for improvement. Whereas in verse 15 he's speaking of relative spiritual maturity where there is room for development and growth. So the Apostle Paul is not confused about his faith. Uh, What he's trying to say here if I can kind of break this out is to explain to us that when we come to faith in Jesus Christ to save us, the Holy Spirit enters our lives and our thinking and our behavior should begin to change. It doesn't change overnight because there's a maturing process that starts the moment we are born again. The moment you and I receive Jesus Christ into our hearts and lives, are born again, and the Holy Spirit comes in, we begin a journey of maturing at that point. That process of spiritual growth and development starts at the very moment a person's life uh, uh, give, is, is receiving Christ. And it should continue, that, that maturing process, listen carefully, should continue in each believer's life until the day we die. There should be a continual growing process happening in every one of the Christians' lives from the moment they ask Jesus Christ to come into their hearts. It's a progressive work that should be a part of your life and my life. And Paul says it's a part of his life because he says in, in verse 12, he said, I haven't got that, that, top, that top notch. I haven't got it. I want it. I'm trying. But I, but I don't have it. And so there's a progressive maturing that he says needs to be going on. As he showed by the example of his life. But he uses this word perfect to teach us that there should develop. Now, follow this. There should develop in a Christian's journey toward maturity, a heart that motivates Christians to ask for the Holy Spirit's empowerment to be holy. Our spiritual maturing should bring us to a point where we say, I know I haven't arrived and I know I haven't got it all right, and so I'm asking you, Father, because of the teaching in your word that says we're to be holy, like you are holy. I'm going to read that in a minute. How can I do that if I continue to fail? So what can I ask? Can I ask you for more of you? Is there some, some more of you, some, something that I could do that would strengthen this maturing process of being called to be holy? Now, let me just say this. There has never been anyone walk this earth with the exception of Jesus Christ in whom there was no sin. We all agree? That seemed, Can it be a little heartier than that? There is no one in the history of mankind that has walked this earth without sin except for the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. It's certainly not me. And yet... God commanded Moses to teach the people in Leviticus 19. Listen to what he says. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to all the congregation of the sons of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I the Lord your God am holy. Now how do you do that? If the only one that has ever been totally holy, 100% perfect, and then God is saying, Be holy like me. Be holy like me. In fact, Jesus took it. He took it into the New Testament realm and he said it this way in Matthew five forty six. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? So look what he says. Therefore you are to you, believers, are to be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. I wonder, I wonder what Paul thought when Jesus said that. You, you are, I am to be perfect as my Heavenly Father is perfect. All right, now let's, let's, let's kind of bring it down to John Wesley. Because that's where I started this. You see, John Wesley and others, he's not the only one, but others. I believe we're wrestling with an awareness that we should strive to practice our faith as perfectly as we could. But that in this life, in this body, there is, there is not a flawless perfection in practice. It would be impossible to do. And yet Jesus said, be perfect as my heavenly father is perfect. And Wesley said, how do you do that? My, 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 my body and my brain, they don't, they don't even think right all the time. Sometimes, sometimes we, we, we mess up and we're not even trying to mess up. You ever, anybody, anybody raise a little uh, three or four year old? There's maybe still, I don't know. Can't remember now. It's been so long. They still sit in the high chair, whatever. And you say, listen, here's, here's what I want you to don't, don't do this, do this. And you won't spill this all over the place. And, and the kid just, he spins around to see something and he knocks it over and he, and he spills it all over the place. And he's going, but, but, but I didn't, I, but I heard what you said and I was going to do it, but, but, but I accidentally knocked the bottle over the glass and it, and it's just, we're not perfect. It, it's just a, it's just a mistake. It's just a, it wasn't trying to be naughty. wasn't trying to be bad. But sometimes it's just not perfection. And that's the world we live in. And so Wesley's saying, how how do we work on this? And yet Jesus commands us to be perfect as God. And he said said it in that passage in relation to loving God and loving others. He said, you're you're to love God by being perfect like God. And you are to love others, not the way the world loves others. Because the, the world knows how to be friendly. Gentiles know how to be friendly. They don't even have Jesus, some of them. So you are, you are to love other people in a unique, special way. And that's, the, that's the, the, the background out of which Jesus is saying, be perfect as God has commanded you to be perfect. Is it possible that a person could mature spiritually to the place where they ask God for the Holy Spirit's empowerment to love others With a perfect intent. Not necessarily a perfect follow through. Not necessarily with perfection. In terms of trying to demonstrate that. But out of a heart. Out of our mind and our spirit. The motivation is a perfect motivation to love other people. What if someone spiritually matured to the place where they felt like God I know I can't do perfect follow-through. I know in this life I will never, ever be able to be perfect because there was only one who could do that. There was only one who never failed. There was only one who could keep the law perfectly. There was only one who never, never sinned with his lips, never sinned with his flesh, never sinned with his thought life. He's the only one. But is it possible... If I were to ask you as I've progressed in my spiritual journey and drawn closer and closer to you and keep reading this about be holy like God is holy, be perfect, perfect in your loving others. Is it possible that someone might say, God, would you ha- would you have something more there for me? And t- I-, I know the Holy Spirit is in my life because it's helped me change my life. But is there something more that I could ask you for that would... would would enable me to be more perfect in how I love other people and I think Wesley is saying and many people over the years have misunderstood John Wesley in my opinion and Charles their encouragement for people to seek a filling of the Holy Spirit for the ability to demonstrate perfect love And that does not mean sinless perfection. That is not what John Wesley was talking about. He was not talking about being perfect with no sin ever after we come to Jesus. He was talking about begging God for a unique divine endowment of the Holy Spirit to have a perfect intent in how I love other people. Not not flawless follow through but a perfect love intent. Now, I, as I try to think about that, I, I think about uh, people that I've known, and I, sometimes I, I, I refer to myself as I try to sort this out in my own life. And I think about uh, love and how I love and who I love and all of that. And I, I feel like God has helped me over the course of uh, almost 47 years of being involved in the work of the church and you've heard me say this before. This is not new to you. Some of you are here for the first time. But I absolutely love the church. I love this one. I love the ones that we've been involved in in the past. And if we're ever involved in another church, we'll love that one too. Because I made it my business as I read God's word and as I was, uh, I was deepening in my spiritual journey. I love the church. That's why I get my, I get my dander up when people monkey around with the church. When there's, when there's gossip and when there's little backbiting things that go on and when there's lack of follow-through on certain things. And I think, this is hurting the church. These things hurt the church. And so anything that hurts the church, I don't like it because I have this deep love for the church. I, I feel that same way about my spouse. Now, some of you, don't you're not married, and so, so this may not work for you. But, but I feel that way about my bride. I, I feel that way about my wife. But what I can tell you is, as perfectly as I lo- think I love her, she would be the first one to tell you that I don't flawlessly communicate that all the time. Does, can anybody give me a witness? <laughs> we, we, we want to. It's, it's, it's in us. to it, The intent is so perfect sometimes. And how I deliver it is so imperfect sometimes. And that's what I feel like Wesley is trying to say: is look, look, seek, seek, seek the Holy Spirit to so 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 in, in, endow you and me with this ability to love other people in, in a in a flawless way in terms of our intent, not always our practice and our follow through, but at least in our intent. That in my intent, I would never hurt deliberately hurt my wife. And in my heart, I would never want to hurt the church. I just, it's not in me to do it. In fact, it bothers me when when other people do. And sometimes they do it in innocence and sometimes they do it deliberately because they're selfish and they want their own way and they got all kinds of issues going on. I think that's what Wesley was driving at. He's saying that the perfection he's referring to amounts to a state of love of God and others. Dr. Spencer uh, made this quote. Maybe this will help you. Perfection as the inward disposition only to love and therefore genuinely to be lovable from God's point of view is the Wesleyan doctrinal hallmark of fame, unquote. That's That's what makes this This special to us. Not better than anybody else. I know some people who think that if you weren't Wesleyan. That Wesleyans were the only ones that were going to go to heaven. Because they had this sinless perfection thing went down. And they miss the whole point. It's about having a pure heart. By intent to love God. And to love others like God loved us. Amen. John Newton, author of the beautiful hymn, Amazing Grace. He obviously was wrestling with some of these same issues of being responsible to God to practice what we believe. And so we've got a little saying of John Newton's, I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I want to be. I'm not what I hope to be. But still, I am not what I used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. Well, I think he was wrestling too, trying to figure out how do you, how do you put traction, in, you know, the, the, the rubber on the road to get traction to move it on down the road. So in verse 14, the apostle Paul, we read it, he mentions walking after the pattern of his example. Paul says, walk after the pattern of our example, and especially Paul's example, even though Paul said, I haven't got that whole thing perfect with an A plus. But he said walk after our pattern. That word to walk here means to proceed in a row. It means to get in line as a troop marches in line. It's sort of like Paul saying to the church in Philippi and maybe saying to us today in Lakeview, hey, get in step. When I worked in uh, prison ministry and and, uh, we had these young men, they were 15 to 19 years of age and there was sometimes as many as 1,200 inmates on that campus. And they were divided up in cottages of 100 to 120. And I I was in one cottage and doing work there. But when they would go to and from the dining hall to eat, they marched in these kind of rows, just like you might have marched in the military. And I can still remember, guys, you know, they they would be out of step, and they would be, you know, everybody else's right foot, but theirs was left. And and the cottage officers would he would holler at them, and he wasn't pleasant, and he wasn't nice, and he used military some military language every once in a while that I can't use here. And he'd call the guy out, and he said, "What's the matter with you, boy? Drop down, and give me twenty. Then you'll learn how to now get back in line and walk in line and get your right foot in step with their right foot, and do it now and do it that way every time till you leave here." Every time I see you messing up and not paying attention, I'm going to tell you about it. And then you have to do 35, 40, 50, 60 push-ups. Or something else like cleaning the the bathrooms and other stuff that they could make them do. And so this is walk after, Paul says, walk after my example. Put put your right foot forward when your right foot is supposed to go forward. And and put your left and so on and so forth. You get what he's saying. He says we all need to get in line Get our behavior in line with the principles that we're learning. Now these are the words of Christ. Matthew 22. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. This is Jesus. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Recognize that anywhere in here? Doesn't it make you kind of proud to be able to come into a worship center and be able to see the main thing right in front of your eyes? The problem is it's like saying the Lord's Prayer every Sunday. You say it every Sunday by rote and don't even think about it. We come in here and we see that up there on the front and what? don't even think about it. When's the last time we read it? When's the last time we thought, wow, who chose that? That's pretty good. Uh, Jesus said, this is the greatest commandment. This is, the law and the prophets hang on these two things. Wow, what an incredible thing to be reminded of. See, we're, we, I, I don't care how pretty it is. I don't even care if it makes you feel bored sometimes. What I care is that you understand how important that was to Jesus and that we Deep in our spirit. Amen? I mean, so, so that our journey is, is good with God before we go to meet God. And we say, oh, yeah, yeah, that was, that was highlighted at our church, Father. And so I did my best to try to pay attention to it in, in my life. You see, Wesley and other mature believers might, might say it something like this. We know that there was only one who could live the perfect life of obedience in all things. Only one. But he has commanded us to love God and others with our whole heart. Why would he ask us to do something we can't do? Have you ever, like Wesley, asked God to fill your heart with the power of the Holy Spirit to love with perfect intent? Have you ever asked God for something like that? John Newton penned these words, I think. That's what he had in mind, especially in the first two lines of, of what I'm going to share with you. He says, I asked the Lord that I might grow in faith and love and every grace. Might more of his salvation know and seek more earnestly his face. T'was he who taught me thus to pray and he, I trust, has answered prayer. But it has been in such a way as almost drove me to despair. See, I think, I think that's driving Wesley and others Crazy. How, I, I can't do this, but I'm supposed to do this. And how can I do this? What can I I need help. I need I, I know I'm saved. I know I'm going to heaven. This isn't about going to heaven. This isn't about growing steadily in my spiritual walk. This is about loving perfectly. But it has been in such a way it, it drove me to despair. I, I hoped that in some favorite hour at once he'd answer my request and by his love's constraining power subdue my sins and give me rest. Instead of this, he made me feel the hidden evils of my heart. You ever come to church and it's like, I came here to get encouraged and all you did was reveal a bunch of stuff that I, I need to get my act together. And I felt I felt worse when I left than when, before I came in. And the answer is, that's what happens sometimes. Instead of this, he made me feel the hidden evils of my heart and let the angry powers of hell assault my soul in every part. Yea, more than his own hand he seemed, intent to aggravate my woe crossed all the fair designs I schemed, humbled my heart, laid me low. Lord, why is this? I trembling cried. Wilt thou pursue thy worm to death? Tis in this way, the Lord replied, I answer prayer for grace and faith. These inward trials I employ from self and pride to set thee free and break thy schemes of earthly joy that thou mayest find thy all. In me, See, John Wesley and others took seriously Jesus' invitation to be ye therefore perfect as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. And by perfection, Wesley did not mean moral flawlessness or sinlessness. He meant perfection in the sense of of maturity. Wesley believed we could become perfect in love in this life. If Jesus invites us to seek perfection, then perfect love is possible. He didn't mean that we would be free from mistakes, temptation, or failure, but perfect in intent in our love. So Christian perfection in closing for Wesley, is achievable in this present life because it has to do with our affections. When by the grace of God, Neil Anderson writes from Asbury, when by the grace of God, infused into the soul through the Holy Spirit, one's love for God and others is made pure and complete, their lifestyle cannot help but increase in virtue, finding expression in loving selfless actions unquote so it's not a spectator sport this life of living for Jesus we must get down on the field of service though we can never execute perfect performance but with a desired filling of the Holy Spirit for enablement in this life we can love with a perfect intent So have you ever asked for that empowerment from God? God, would you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, who is already in me, but would you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, so, so fill, refresh, charge me that I am able to love others in ways that I never could before? And even though I may make mistakes in the delivery of that love, in the expression of that love from time to time, make my intent perfect as your intent is perfect. Have you ever asked God for that kind of love? So I want us to close. Pat's playing on the piano. And let's let's stand because it makes it easier if someone would like to come and just say, you know... I had not thought about that. I had not thought about that. And I don't know that I've ever asked God to come into my life in that sort of way, in that kind of power. And you'd like to just come and say, Father, sanctify me wholly. Set me apart different than I've ever been in terms of how I love you and how I love other people with our heads bowed and our eyes are closed, as the Holy Spirit may prompt you to come and just say, I don't know that I've ever asked God for that. I don't know that I have. Who'll join this one? We're going to pause for just a few moments. I know that people will step aside and move out of your way if you're a little embarrassed to try to get out. We have two people here who've come forward. I wonder what would happen if we had people at the door just check and see how each of us has been doing in terms of how we've loved others. I wonder if some of us should not be here and saying, God, it isn't that I've failed so miserably. But this perfect love by intent, I, I've, not, I've not asked you about that before. And I would like to experience that if you would grant me that. I'm going to pause just a little bit longer because this is for you. Father in heaven, um, this was, this is deep, deep for me and uh, it, it means a lot to me to process it in my own mind and spirit. And in my heart, I have so wanted to be helpful to the people listening. I don't know if I did that. I ask you for help and I'm sure you have helped. But Lord, if you could just sort through Any confusion or any error in my presentation that would hinder someone from drawing near to you and being filled with a precious anointing of the Holy Spirit to love with greater, a greater spirit of love. I I ask you to do that for people today. And I ask you, God, to fill us afresh with a spirit of discernment and understanding of your word. What a joy to be able to walk through this passage here and do our best to understand what some of our forefathers have struggled with, to try to understand how how do we live perfectly in an imperfect world when we cannot be perfect, and yet you're asking us to love you and love others with a perfection. So there must be something there for us as we mature that we can ask you for. And if we got that right, then Lord, would you please do it? Do it in us. And the result will be just such a beautiful love that emanates from this place and from these vessels. That we will know it was you and you did a great thing. Now, Father, there may be some people here who've never asked Jesus Christ to come into their hearts and lives. They're not saved and they need Christ to be able to enter heaven and not only to enter heaven, but to be able to appreciate what you did on the cross. What a shame for people to live an entire life and not realize what the creator God did for them and never acknowledged it, never bothered to say thank you, never bothered to take advantage never bothered to step into faith. So help us as ambassadors of truth to get this gospel truth out to the world and to our friends at work and to our neighbors and the people that are that are just not dialed in at all. And help us to be able to do it, Lord, in this changing culture, with changing laws and rules and regulations, even in our own country. Help us, Lord, to be able to be faithful, to get on the field, And to work out the game plan with your help. Thank you, Father, for your word of truth that teaches us. Thank you for the teachability of uh, this, your people. And thank you for putting in, in our hearts a yearning and a desire to feed upon this living word that we know is absolutely the truth and the way to eternity. We love you. We consider it a pleasure to be called Christians and followers of Jesus. Protect us from the enemy's assaults. or Give us the courage and strength to endure and to press on toward the mark that Paul talked about, even though there may be hindrances along the way. Help those who are suffering and those who are struggling and those who are grieving. And those of us, Lord, who are feeling strong and vibrant, may we reach out and be a blessing to those who are weak and who are lost and who may be hurting. Help us to love with a perfect love like Jesus. And all God's people said together, amen and praise the Lord. God bless you. Have a great, great week in the Lord. we look forward to you bringing a friend back with you next Lord's Day. God bless.